0: Mr. Green did it in the study with a knife. Uh-uh. I got a clue card. I know. It was Miss Scarlet in the conservatory with a candlestick. Wow. Elementary, my dear Betsy.
1: Clue from Parker Brothers. Wow. I that, love it. That was something. I love everything about this game. Uh, do you love that commercial? Yeah. And there's a lot of good commercials. Wow. Yeah. I got a clue card. Ben, this is a podcast. This is called Gaming the System. Yes, it is, Alex. And my name is Alex. <laughs> you in you you my flow. <laughs> today we're talking about Clue. Yes, we are. One of, I think, the greatest board games of all time. It's a pretty good game. And it's got a lot of relevance today. I think that when, when we compare this, especially to the games we've played before, this has been in the top of gaming consciousness for like 50 plus years. I think it's hard, like even Monopoly has deteriorated today, but Clue I think is still going strong. I don't know. A lot of people like Monopoly, but I agree. I it... don't
0: I've never met a single person that likes Monopoly. There are people that think they like Monopoly out there. Okay. Yeah, Clue's been pretty popular since its creation.
1: Which was nineteen forty nine? Yeah, it was okay. released in nineteen forty nine. Yep. Um, well today on Gaming the System, yeah. We're gonna talk about that history. First we're gonna talk about the game itself. Yep. A little bit a little overview of the rules. We'll go into the history, we'll go into the strategy of Clue, which I'm very excited about. And a little bit of our experience with the game. Yes, we played it last week. And then we'll talk about some pop culture, including the 1985 hit film adaptation. The first true film adaptation we've covered on this podcast. What was it called? I don't recall. I'm pretty sure it's called Clue. Well, okay, speaking of names of things. Yeah. Who calls it Cluedo? Because I, in my research, I came across the word <laughs> Cluedo a lot, and I don't understand the difference. So that was actually the original, well,
0: sort of the original name that it was marketed under. Cluedo. Okay. In the UK, which is where it was invented. It's a, I mean, it's just a play on the word clue. It sort of is. It's actually the word clue combined with the Latin word Ludo, which means I play. So it's, oh. it's actually a play on words.
1: That's actually way cleverer than I thought it.
0: Yeah. Huh. And actually, so the game Parcheesi in the UK was called Ludo. Uh, So that's part of the reason I think they adapted it. That's a really old one.
1: We've got to do that sometime. We
0: will. We'll definitely get to that
1: one. That's a very old game, yes. Well, let's overview a bit of the clue that people have played. Yeah. There's six characters. Can you name them all? Colonel Mustard. Correct. Mrs. White.
0: Meh. Miss Peacock. Yes. Miss Scarlet. Yes. Mr. Green. Yes. And... What's the other color? You actually can't remember? I can't remember. He's purple. Professor Plum. Yes. And Mr. Body, who is, of course,
1: the unfortunate soul who is killed. Right, an NPC, a non-playable character. That's true. Body spelled with two Ds, actually. In fact, yes. Yeah. Also, the reason I, meh, at Mrs. White is that she's not a playable character anymore. Really? We're going to get to that. Oh, okay. We'll get to that. This game has changed. (laughs) Well, that's, we'll build to the changes that some say have strengthened the game, some say have ruined it. But uh, the classic game that hasn't changed over the years, you basically, after selecting one of these players, you're exploring a mansion, trying to determine who, or whom has killed Mr. Body. Yep. One person did it in one room with one murder weapon and distributed amongst the players evenly or semi-evenly are clue cards to basically, di- your evidence to disprove
0: this By having murder. one of the cards, that means that that was not one of the things, not either not one of the people or not one of the weapons or not one of the rooms that was
1: used in the right. murder. And eventually, by process of elimination, you figure out who did it. Yeah. The three, the combination of three cards that did it. And actually, what I love about this game is that the gameplay mechanics are super-duper simple. And what it comes down to is your own personal notation strategy. Yes. And a lot of luck. A lot of luck. The luck definitely plays a part. I won in the game that we played because I just took a random guess. Yes, you did. Yeah. An educated guess. Educated, but like, educated guess, but you...
0: I don't want a three-shot. Right. I was pretty drunk, and my motivation <laughs> strategy was not uh, very effective. No,
1: I think we realized, we realized when we were playing that everyone started with a very ambitious structure to our notes, and eventually it just imploded and no yeah. one knew what they were doing. I think each person at a certain point realized, I have messed up this entire yeah. experience. But we'll get there. We'll get there. At the strategy section. So history. Let's yeah. take us back, Ben, in 1949.
0: Yeah, so 1949, we're actually going to rewind a little bit back from there. I wasn't expecting That's this. when it was first published. So in the 19 early 1940s, Anthony E. Pratt and his wife, Elva, uh, came up with this new board game. He was actually inspired by um, murder
1: mystery parties uh, during the interwar period. Of which we have recently done one. We just did one. You yeah. know, yeah, it's worth mentioning, we're recording this episode on Halloween. It's spooky. It's very spooky. It's quite chilling. So we did a recent murder mystery party, and which was, tied into our whole clue motif. I would say it was great. It was on a boat. It was on a boat. Alex wrote it. It was great. That was great.
0: Um, yeah. So so they came up with this game, and uh, Elva designed the board, and Anthony kind of figured out a lot of the details. And initially, it was called Murder with an exclamation point. It's catchy. They filed a patent for it in 1944. Um, in the original design, there were actually 10 characters, so there are all the original characters that we mentioned, and then Mr. Brown, Mr. Gold, Miss Gray, and Miss Mrs. Silver.
1: Yeah, don't get that wrong.
0: It was it was also Nurse White and Colonel Yellow, which I think they both changed for the better. But it was Plum still? It was still Plum, yeah. It's Interesting. It was still, okay. still a Plum, Yeah. Okay. Uh, so this allowed for actually eight players, um to play and there were nine suspects because one of those people was the victim
1: oh i actually like that
0: yeah and it was interesting there were 11 rooms so in addition to the regular rooms there was a gun
1: room and a cellar for reference there's nine rooms in the version that pretty much everyone plays today yes there's some other versions but nine rooms is your like your standard board and there are no secret passages oh interesting yeah there were also nine
0: weapons, so in addition to some of the ones we used today, there's a bomb, a syringe, a fireplace poker, an axe, a poison, and a shillelagh. Do you know what a shillelagh is? I don't. I can't it's, it's like a walking stick
1: or something. All right. All right. Um, from the past. I want to make this quick comparison to today because recent changes to the game actually like 2008 changes to the game Mm -hmm. introduced more weapons and more rooms and more characters really yeah that's really interesting not you can still buy like classic clue but the more recent versions that's so fascinating that they like return to the form of the earlier overload of of combinations so this is the original patented version this is actually
0: not ever sold huh Um, this is just the patent so, also, the really big play um, change was that the cards were not dealt out. They were distributed to the rooms. So, you had to go to the rooms to see the cards. Okay. Also, your um, guesses were limited. You had a number of tokens to make suggestions about who might have done it. And once those run out, you can't make any more, which I think would be very difficult.
1: I mean, that introduces the scenario in which, like, you could be out of the game, which is something that we haven't seen in a lot of these classic games. Like, there's, it's very rare that you hit a point where, like, you're out and you leave the table and everyone else is still having fun. Right. Clue does have that as an option. Like, if you do guess, if you if you make your accusation of what three cards you think are, are in this little envelope and you're wrong, you're out of the game. But in theory, that's not going to happen until very, very late on in the process.
0: Right, I think in the original version, there's probably more um, reward for exploration, because the cards are in the rooms, so you aren't actually limited in information, so you want to make your suggestions based on more information, rather than just kind of wild guesses every turn, like in the current version. So, in 1945, um, they went to Waddington's, which is a uh, game publisher, and they played the game with an executive there who loved it immediately and once they were issued the patent they sold it to waddington's but they couldn't print the game yet because of the war so they didn't which, print it which, which war <laughs> world war ii got it just po- check well post-war shortages they couldn't print it
1: rosie the riveter
0: it was right Am I- <laughs> it was in england okay <laughs> Um, so then so in 1949, Waddington's officially launched Cluedo, and Parker Brothers licensed the game for U.S. publication. They renamed it Clue, and they made some minor changes. W- what year was this? 1949. Oh, okay. We're up to the present. Of <laughs> I thought we started. Cool. So there's some differences between the British version and the American version. For one, the person who died, the victim, his, his name is Mr. Black in the U.K. version. Also, Mr. Green is Reverend Green. I think Ugh. that was just distasteful to
1: uh, American audiences. Well, it lessens the experience because you know that he wasn't the murderer. That's one view. <laughs> also,
0: a spanner. you know what a spanner is? A spammer? Spanner. Nope. It's a wrench. So they call the wrench the spanner. <laughs> okay. They also call the knife a dagger in the British version. So there weren't really that many changes, actually, to the gameplay itself. It was sold to Hasbro in 1991. Well, Hasbro bought Parker Brothers in 1991, and they bought Waddington's in 1994. So now Hasbro owns the rights.
1: Didn't Hasbro also buy Milton Bradley? Yes. Sounds like we got a Monopoly on our hands. Oh! But seriously, do they own everything?
0: I think they do. I mean, that's why so many of the games are now in Hasbro's hands. Hmm. I don't know how that happened. It's interesting, though. When they first marketed the game, they marketed it as the great new Sherlock Holmes game, and they actually had to pay the um, Arthur Conan Doyle's estate to use that, even though Sherlock Holmes is totally unrelated to the game
1: at all. No, I wouldn't say completely unrelated. I mean, I don't know this. I don't know if we did the research for it, but, like, how the murder mystery tropes kind of evolved. Like we we look at the game as like this classic representation of a lot of different murder mystery stories. But those might have spawned after the game being inspired by the game, even in like the 70s and 80s when when it was getting kind of big into popular culture and there were the there was the movie adaptation, that might have been when it started becoming cliché. So, I don't know. Maybe at the time, Sherlock Holmes was the only comparison to make if you're going to talk about investigating a murder by the process of deduction.
0: I mean, you definitely, yeah,
1: you definitely know right away what that means, I guess. Yeah. Whatever. Fun fact, though, currently Sherlock Holmes is out of, like, there's no copyright on it. It's yeah. been around long enough, so you wouldn't have that issue today. We could go and make a Sherlock Holmes board game if we wanted and we'd have to pay a dime. There are a bunch of them. Yeah. In fact. Yeah, so that's
0: pretty much the history. I know that after Hasbro acquired the rights, they did make a lot of changes, but I think that is more of the
1: pop culture, maybe your aspect. Well, we'll get to that. Yeah. I want to talk about strategy. Let's do it. I'm itching to talk about strategy. All right. So when we played the game, like I said, everyone was kind of taking their own system of notes. We were trying. <laughs> we were trying our hardest, given the amount of alcohol we had in our systems at the time. But note taking is basically the big, the big key to winning this game. It'll make or break you. The there was one notable uh, tournament to determine like world champion for Clue. It was in really? nineteen ninety three. That's great. There have it's not like an annual thing, but in ninety three sure. they had a big worldwide tournament. Mm-hmm. Joseph Keller was the winner. And he attributes his success to two big things. One is that he made his own sheet to take notes on. Wow. So throw out everything you know about this stupid five-column sheet that comes with the game. If you create your own, I guess that's it gives you more flexibility to actually Definitely. take the notes that you want. Definitely. The other thing he does is he cheats. Well, how does he do that? So there's two main ways. Okay, we're going to build up cheating. First and foremost, there's four main tenets to clue strategy. A lot of this that I wrote here, like, this is me assimilating things from different sources as well as, like, my own experience playing clue. All right, great. But this is is an Alex original. Number one, focus on what players don't have. So any pass in the game is probably your biggest... Source of information. About halfway through, I was when I was playing. I tried to do that. <laughs> so like it 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 winds up giving you insight into more insight into what other players have in their hands. Because let's say you're playing with six players, you only have one one out of six turns actually shows you a card. But in theory, five out of six turns show you what's not in players' hands. Right. Big source of information. Number two, be incredibly wary of guessing uh, what cards are used to disprove. So that was a big mistake I did. When someone disproved part of the game, I was jumping to my notepad and saying, "Oh, it must have been either this, this, or this card. It must have been one of these three that was shown to disprove the accusation, and thus maybe I could figure out where the cards were." That's what ruined me. Like that's what overloaded my my notepad. That's my way too hard pad. to keep track of. Yeah. There's there's two uh, techniques that are used to optimize this. One is where you actually number each turn. So that you can keep track of, like, on turn one, maybe it was these three cards you said I think that's overkill. I think that's going to ruin your experience. Technically, there would be a way to, to figure that out, but it would require a lot of space. That's why you can yeah. bring in your own sheet. Right. The other technique is to use, and actually one of our friends did this when we were playing, use each column for each character. Mm-hmm. It's five columns. I think that the original sheet that comes in the box was meant to be reused five times, not used (laughs) for one game. Definitely, Where drunk millennials are trying to (laughs) compete with notation techniques. But that's another technique that's been noted online. Yeah. Um, Trick number three is be really crafty in what cards you disclose. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So if you can keep one of your cards hidden in the game for as long as possible, do it. Because that's... It, you wind up screwing over everyone else in the game as opposed to showing cards willy So keeping track of what you've shown already. Yeah. yeah. And the fourth one, like I said, is to cheat. So the, the, Isn't that always there? The big one that is probably not allowed, but it's not explicitly said in the rules, is you should look at what other people do when they're notating their cheats. Like if, like if you can see someone noting at the top of the sheet for people versus the bottom of the sheet for rooms, you can kind of glean what oh. maybe someone disproved. That this comes up in a lot of strategy blogs, and again, it's not explicitly disallowed by the rules, but also I would say it's unsporting, very unsporting. <laughs> the other thing, then, this is what Joseph Keller did: is he would bluff. So he says that there's a lot of strategy to acu- making an accusation using only cards that you have in your hand. But that would require you to have a room, a person, yes. and a weapon. Yes but in doing so you basically you're sacrificing one of your turns which i would not do because i see your guessing turns as being very valuable but in theory you can throw so many people off the scent that you give yourself a long-term advantage now this isn't so, this isn't a strategy i recommend but it is noted by the current and by current i mean 1993 world champion of clue i don't know how long that would last though because as soon as somebody else guesses
0: well i guess as soon as somebody else guesses one of the things in your hand,
1: they would know that you did that. Possibly. But Possibly. Now, so, here's, so here it also, it. there's a couple specific strategies that, like, really get into the nitty gritty of the rules. The big one is to travel as little as possible on the game board. Right, because you're that, wasting turns when you're not in a room. And that comes down to, honestly, the the weird part of clue that makes it impossible to really analyze is that your player token can be moved by other players yeah yeah that's That's just it's really hard to deal with that it throws it all for a loop and that's why it comes so much down to luck because if you wind up being a player that's that that is the murderer you have a huge advantage you're deliberately going to be moved to rooms that are of that
0: are prime suspect areas Maybe, but then you also have no control over where you're
1: moving around. That's also true. So that's another detriment. Yeah. But in theory, most of these rooms will take... Because you have to decide if you want to go to a room before you roll. You can't roll and then see. That's another nitty-gritty part of the rules. In theory, you could be losing guessing turns by transiting between rooms. Yeah. Also... Definitely. And the rules state this. You have to actually move into a room. It's not if you land on the square in front of the doorway, which is the way that I used to play, but I think that's just a trick to make the game go faster. Yeah, I think so. Uh, And the last one is to pay attention to opponents' placements, because if you are helping an opponent by moving them between rooms... Or you can hurt an opponent by moving them between rooms. Mm -hmm. It it becomes a bit of a metagame moving people around the board in ways they wouldn't expect. Hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know how much I like the moving... um,
1: opponents. It's a pain in the butt when it affects you. I
0: really, I'm not sure that the game should work that way. Um, but I kind of get why you do it because it helps to have the visualization of the guests in whatever place with
1: whatever person. Yeah. There's also, there's some strategy around using your piece to block access to rooms. That seems like it's going to be so rarely used though. You're wasting turns. You can't guess if you're not in a room. Yeah. But I do believe it was referenced in the Clue movie because they keep having trouble getting into rooms around each other. I take uh, that as a pretty clear uh, uh, interpretation. Yeah, rule. I think so. So now's the moment of truth, Ben, which I think all our podcasters are, are, are our podcast listeners are eager to get to. Which character is the best character to pick? I think it's Mrs. Peacock. Do you really?
0: I think that's right. Why? Because she can access
1: the room fastest, or something like that. Miss Peacock has. I actually have an entire table written down. Oh. Miss Peacock has seven spaces to R1, meaning room one, but everyone else has eight. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I say that's totally moot, because it's going to take her at least two turns to get there anyway.
0: Yeah, but it's could it could benefit
1: you, I don't know. Maybe in a slight possibility it could. Uh, Mrs. Mrs. White. Mrs. White has the most rooms that she's close to, right? Yes, Mrs. White and Mr. Green are tied with access to four rooms off of R2, which is Mm. your second possibility. R3, which is, in theory, in three movements, how many rooms you could get to. Green and white get access to eight out of the nine rooms on the board. Oh, wow. So those are two good go-to characters, but I argue that there's one better character, and that's Professor Plum. Coolest name. Coolest name. He only has his uh, R3 is six out of nine. Which is less than Mr. Green and Mrs. White at but eight out of nine. Meaning he can get to three rooms? No, he can only get to six out of the nine rooms on three possible movements. Oh but he's the only character with immediate access to the hall. And that's critical. Oh. The hall is asymmetrical. Right. So there's a door that faces directly to Professor Plum. So in theory, what you want to do is if you can get to that room, you gain information that no other characters have. Now, it's unlikely, it's like a one out of nine chance that the game has anything to do with the hall, but you never know. You find that out. So I say Plum is probably your best character to pick, like your strongest character. Second best is going to be Mrs. White because, like Mr. Green, they have access to eight out of the nine rooms on the board, Mm -hmm. but because of Mrs. White's placement... In a secret use of a secret passage, she can also get close to the hall. Yeah,
0: yeah. Do you know why there are empty spaces, like empty starting positions? No. Oh, because of the original board. Yeah. Oh, it. that makes so much sense. sense. Exactly right. The original board looked pretty much exactly the same. The cellar was in the middle, and the gun room was kind of jammed in one of the hallways.
1: Yeah, because there's one one side has four rooms, and the other side has three
0: rooms. Yeah. In the current board. And uh, it used to be that a player could start in in all of the. Little hallways, but they eliminated for the players.
1: Man, the history and strategy inter- intersecting they meld. On gaming the system. Gaming the system. That's all, that's that's my end of strategy. want to talk about the movie? Sure. I didn't see it. I d- yo you didn't come. I wasn't at that movie. Night. I invited
0: you. I know. I was kind of sick. It's really you've seen it though. I've seen it before. Yeah. I enjoy it. So, so much. So I heard that the movie, it bombed at the box office. It did. It lost uh, almost half a million dollars. And this was at a time when VHS tapes were very expensive. Um, 1985? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. They could be pretty pricey. But they were because it bombed, they reduced the price. So it was at a lot of video rental stores. So that's why a lot of kids got to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why
1: is so inordinately popular today. Now, there was also, a, I would say, a bit of a bizarre marketing strategy. I commend them for this, but when it was released in theaters, there's three possible endings to the movie, and a theater only got one of the cuts. Mm -hmm. So when it was released on DVD and later on, or sorry, VHS and later on DVD, and even later on direct digital download, there's a a well-cut-together ending that kind of puts all three of them in the same strength. Right And right. honestly, in one of the cases, like, the butler did it. In one of the cases, uh, uh, Colonel Mustard did it. But in, in one of the cases, like, everyone did it. There's a very, cl- in my mind, a very clear, like, optimal ending where Mr. Green winds up being a secret agent the entire time. It's great. I would feel terrible watching one of the worst endings and not knowing that that was how yeah. act the acting story could have ended. That's a bummer. So I can understand it bombed at the box office. Fun fact about the movie... Carrie Fisher was going to be in it. It's pretty star-studded as it is. It is. She was going to play Mrs. Scarlet, though. Oh. Yeah. But apparently she went to rehab and, and did it. And did it. But Tim Curry is in it. Yeah. Martin Martin Mull? Martin Mull? Something like that. Something yeah. like that Christopher is Christopher Lloyd? Christopher Lloyd is in it. Uh, it was directed by John Landis, who did Blues Brothers and Trading Places. Wow. And Coming to America. And Three Amigos. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it, it was a, it bombed at the box office, so... <laughs> Maybe that set back the board game adaptation industry for several decades. Still, still
0: struggling. If you ask me. do you want to talk about the reboot? I didn't know there was a reboot. Yeah,
1: not many people do. <laughs> no, I mean it's not. It's not out yet. It's oh. pending. Oh, good. Uh, what they're actually going to use it? This is all serious. I'm. This is my serious. You better voice. be serious. They're using it to launch the Hasbro Cinematic Universe. No. <laughs> has bro you've <laughs> flown too close to the sun so they uh, gore Verbinski. gore sorry gore verbinski what did i say gore verbinski <laughs> that's what you said he's attached to direct he did all the pirates movies oh great probably what he's best known for which i think is actually like a fine tonality for a clue reboot i okay but also, keep in mind, like what we said before, Hasbro owns everything. They really like, do. Like, G.I. Joe is in this universe. Micronauts is in this universe. Like, they want to kind of connect everything Does together. it
0: have to be a cinematic universe? Can't you just make good movies?
1: No, everything has to be a cinematic universe.
0: Oh, God.
1: Like, I don't understand what the other option would be. Just movies. No, we don't do that anymore. Are Transformers in the universe? I think Transformers are Hasbro. Are they? Yeah. I thought Which there opens were... up so many possibilities. Hotel? No. A Clue movie. This isn't a podcast about toys. Oh, well, you want to talk about toys? (laughs) Well, maybe. You could have said this isn't a podcast about Transformers. Because I could go on for hours about Transformers. I wish you wouldn't. But speaking of toys, and shout out to Rochester, New York, home of the strong National Museum of Play. And us. And us. And home of the National Toy Hall of Fame. Yeah. Next week, Ben, Clue is up for... The recognition of a lifetime, potential induction into the toy hall of fame. Wow. That's that's very exciting. You knew that. Well... November 9th. All right. All all but 10 days away. Are we going to do anything special? You bet... Yeah. Was that an actual question? No. You know what we're doing. (laughs) It's for the benefit of the listener. Ladies and gentlemen, every time we hit 10 episodes on this podcast, and by every time I mean it's the first time... (laughs) We record a special non-game-related episode. You've been waiting for it for so long. Yes. You are talking to me or talking to the listeners? Both. Yeah, we've all been waiting for it. Next episode is going to be a look at the National Toy Hall of Fame. Yeah. A bit of history, a bit of uh, an anthology over what toys have been inducted so far. Yeah, look back at some of what's in there already. And hopefully a depending on when we record it, maybe we can, if we do it on Thursday the 9th, we can talk about what's been inducted in 2017. Yeah. Clue is up for it. The Game of Life is already in there. The Game of Life is in there. The game. Uh, some toys I know that are up this year because they're quite bizarre. Sand. Sand is in there. Sand
0: gets everywhere. All right, these are the, the finalists. Magic 8-Ball. T- for 2017. Magic 8-Ball, Matchbox Cars, My Little Pony, which I know has been nominated multiple times already. Paper Airplane. Oh, that's a shoo-in. Pez Candy Dispenser. Oh, I love Pez. Play Food. Generic. Play Food. Just fake food. Uh, risk. A board game. <laughs> Sand. Transformers. And Uno, which we've already done. Also in Wiffle Ball. But that's...
1: include. Clue. You didn't mention Clue. Well, yeah, I, I, I skipped Clue because you already said that one. So... Out of the three board games, I think Clue should get it. I know Uno is. I don't know how many get inducted. Only two or three will be honored this year. I feel like it's got to be Paper Airplane. (sighs) I don't know. I I I feel like Play Food has a really good year. Play Food is. I remember playing with Play Food a lot. Yeah. Pretty big. Oh, but sand. It's worth noting that Stick is already in the Toy National Hall of Fame. Yes, as is Ball. I love Ball maybe rock. No, I don't Love think rock. rock. I don't think rocks Well, let's not let's not bite off more than we can chew. Yeah. We will get into the Nitty Gritty next week on our Toy Hall of Fame anthology. Yeah. I look forward to it. I do too. Uh do you have anything more? That's kind of my recap of the game I don't. Of Loot. I I think that's pretty much it. I really really enjoy this game. I I think it is fun to play. I think that as a kid you kind of you take simple notes, but as an adult you push yourself to Get drunk and see how complex of a sheet of paper you can fill out. I would advise you not to get too drunk. <laughs> or at least figure out what your note-taking strategy is before you get drunk. Yeah, know your limit. <laughs> know your notation limit. Um, uh, ben if people wanted to engage with us between episodes, where can they find us? Just walk up to us on the street and say hey. Yeah, that that's the easiest way.
0: Right. Second easiest way is Oh on, on Facebook. You can go facebook.com/slash GTS podcast. Yep. On SoundCloud, you can go to soundcloud.com slash podcast. Yeah, we're also in all the Apple apps. Well, the all, well the podcast ones. Yeah, well, <laughs> I suppose. And they changed the app so it's easier to rate and review us on iTunes. Really? On the podcast app, yeah.
1: Did you tell me that before?
0: Yeah, you said you hadn't updated your iOS.
1: Oh, no, I never
0: do. Update your iOS, guys. And This isn't an iOS podcast, this is a Where can they podcast? find us
1: on Twitter? Gaming thy system. Wonderful. A yield account. People are claiming. GTS for podcast it. was taken. This is old news. <laughs> then I thought of a I thought of an outro for us. Yeah. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna say so at the beginning of the episode we only play a clip of the audio. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna give our outro and then I'm gonna play the full audio. Oh, I like it. Give a little buffer. Cool. And this outro is non negotiable. I don't like that ready for it yep what we say at the end of the episode is we say live love learn about board games okay fine do we alternate no okay. oh we can say it. live love i didn't know we were alternating. learn about board games bye everybody <laughs> enjoy this clip
0: Cautious. And cool. (laughs) When you play Clue, you have to figure out who did it. There are suspects, weapons, and scenes for a crime. Mr. Green did it in the study with a knife. Uh Uh-uh. I got a clue card. I know. It was Miss Scarlet in the conservatory with a candlestick. Wow! Elementary,
1: my dear Betsy. Clue from Parker Brothers.